Kreusel. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcasts. I'm Stephen Hedges. This week we chat to John Prickett, ex-teacher and cricket administrator. Player and umpire, John has given most of his adult life to the game of cricket. As it says on the Cricket Wales website, generations of young players, particularly in West Wales, have John to thank for his work within junior cricket. A former manager of the Welsh schools and national under-15 teams, I met John in the conservatory of his home in Burryport, where with the sun shining and the birds tweeting, we began by talking about his father. Well, he ran a builder's merchants down here, and as the years went on, we got into the 50s, he had a little bit more leisure time. He'd always been keen on cricket. In fact, he played for the old Burryport side, which played where the power station used to be, covered by the sea in winter, which made the wicket particularly useful for batting. Apparently, so I, I never played on him. Anyway, um, he got involved. He took me to watch Glamorgan. My grandfather took me, first of all, to St Helens. And I was aware of this chap with a bat, stroking the ball about effortlessly, Gilbert Parkhouse. And that started me with an interest. And then he took me to games at Swansea and travelled. And then he seemed to get involved in talking to people I'd never seen before. It was when they'd um, sacked Will Fuller. Um, I mean, he'd been, God, he'd played from before the war, hadn't he? And uh, secretary of the club. And they were getting rid of him as secretary as well. Anyway, I gradually found out that all these people he, were meet, he was meeting, he wanted to get signatures, 50 signatures you had to have for a, an extraordinary general meeting, which eventually came about at Neath. And the old committee, a vote of no confidence was passed on them. The chairman resigned. A new committee was formed. Will Fuller was reinstated. Carried on playing. And uh, I, I seemed to be at every home game. And there were some games when he wasn't going because of business calls. I used to race up from, after, from school. I was in St. Michael's School in the Brennan. Again, I wrote... And uh, I was there by half past four to watch two and a half hours, you know, catch the train back. And, and I found also when I was at boarding school that when one ex-old boy had got a, a, his first cap for England, Peter Richardson, we had a day off. I thought, oh, this game isn't bad, you know. So all these things persuaded me into an interest and then I started playing and got involved. Can you say a little bit more about Gilbert? There aren't many kind of recorded sort of pieces of him playing, but... Um... Oh, well, I mean, the man was... I never saw him get a hundred. His highest score, he was out at Tlenetli, I'm afraid I took a day off school. Uh, he was out for 92. But he just it was effortless. Um, his only weakness seemed to be against spin bowling. But there were days when even that, he dominated completely. He was elegant. I saw him once, three-day match in 1961, when uh, I had a lady friend in London, and uh, it was a, except for Peter Walker, who'd only learned cricket from 17 years of age in Wales, it was a completely Welsh side, beaten, but a good side. Gilbert was captain in that game, and it was the uh, the one game where I saw his batting weighed down, I think, by the responsibilities of being in charge. You know, he didn't play 
as easily as he normally did, it seemed to me. Huh? But he was a tremendous... And that would player. have been at the latter end of his career. The latter end, end. yes, it would have been. But he was always different, Gilbert. I remember we went down to Glastonbury one year. Uh, it was the, the game where Alan Jones got two not-out centuries when he hadn't originally been selected. And it was an injury that got him in. And uh, a lot of the lads were in the bar, the Georgian Pilgrims Hotel in Glastonbury. And, uh, no, not Gilbert. He was always a mate known in the RAF, um, having a steak at his place. There was a bottle of red wine. <laughs> He was different, you know, but a gent, yes. Coast at Worcester, but I, when I went to teach there, um, he'd already left to go to Scotland. I forget the school he went to. But a lot of trouble with arthritis and it was the end, which end curtailed his career. Yeah. Yeah, but a great batsman and, a, and different. There's a bit of style about him. And any other of the team, that sort of 50s team that, that um, immediately springs to mind when you think about well, it? Don Shepard, of course. I mean, metronomic accuracy. I was at um, Clarence Park, Western Supermare, when we'd drawn a game against Somerset. Uh, unluckily, they'd held out for the last hour and a half, the last pair. But after the game, I went towards the square and Peter Walker came out he said, John, come and have a look at this. He took me down the end that Shepherd had bowled. He said, look, John, what do you see? Where Shepherd had pitched the ball was about the size of a dinner plate. There was nothing outside that. Yet. He just worn, worn it away. Incredible, huh? But he'd walk in the England side now. Yeah. Alan Jones was there. Alan Rees. Jeff Jones. Took the first four wickets in the middle six innings, I remember. I saw them. It was too quick. But then he had to come off, didn't he? <laughs> they couldn't pull all day. And then gradually they got on top. Um, Don Ward was in that side. Jim Presley. Hugh Jeffries was a scorer. And John Evans, the um, physio. And there was um, J.B. Evans from Plyndach, the other quick bowler. Gin was it Ginger Evans? Ginger, yeah. Corky Plyndach, they called it, yes. Yes, yes. But uh, except for Peter Walker, all Welsh. Today, at the last county championship match, we had three players in. Three Welshmen. Something wrong somewhere with all the money that's being spent. All the coaching that was on. I mean, looking at that side, there was, uh, from West Wales, there was Jeff Jones... Um, David Evans, Jim Presty, Don Shepherd, four. There were four from West Wales in that side. But Logan said only recently Salter from Pembrokeshire was the only one. And with all the cricket that goes on, all the coaching supposedly, we haven't produced a test player for 17 years. We can come back to that in a little while. I want to concentrate on you a little bit. Ah. So, um, schooling, where was that? And how did cricket form part of well, the schooling? Uh, there was no cricket down here. Um, nothing. It was that visit to St Helens with my grandfather and with my father. And then I went to boarding school, Hennepin Cathedral School, for four years. And uh, Peter Richardson, the day off, you know, for him, was having his England cap against the West Indies. And uh, 
I learned a bit of it. It was a good spin, spinner's wicket at Hereford Cathedral School. I didn't realise now, but it was dead, completely dead. So, you know, there was nothing in it for a quick bowler. And so guys who did that. Yeah, and I, then I was spending my time on the games field rather than anything else. So I, um, I was brought back to St Michael's School in Lethley to get some work in my, as my father said. So I carried on playing cricket on the road with three of my mates, self-taught from there on, and started playing the odd game with Lethley Seconds. Went to college, was in Lampeter. Heard all the stories about Gilbert, who'd been uh, evacuated there with the school, Wycliffe School, during the war. A little boy in short trousers, scoring hundreds against the men, you know. And played some cricket there. And uh, went to London to do my PGC. And played some cricket there. Then discovered that wickets in the rest of the country weren't like they were here. You had to do a bit in the air as well as... Because sometimes they never turned at all, you know, even if you did that. And of course you lost accuracy then. So I, uh, I then got a job. I, I applied for three posts. One in Seven Oaks, cricket. One in Taunton, cricket. And one in Worcester, cricket. And the Royal Grammar School Worcester was the first one that applied. I went there for an interview and taught there for the next 14 years, which coincided with the arrival of Imran Khan in the school. Already a test player when he came, you know. But staff cricket, and then I got involved with club cricket, Secretary of Worcester Schools, Cricket Association, and in 1980 came back to teach in a comprehensive in Thinesley. And when asked what I did in the school, I said, I teach English and cricket. We did rather well as a school team. I was looking at a... So, Koi Kai, um, yeah. is there a transfer then from, from school into club cricket? Oh, yes. Yeah. They all, all the names there all played club cricket. Yeah. I mean, the Davin, particularly Davin, because the whole of their catchment area virtually is quite the school. And I used to play there year six, the last year in primary school, in our first year cricket team, ready for them to come up. So we had a little fixture list. Somewhere I've got the averages of one year where every team, every age group plays at least six matches. You know, but there were 20 overs because, you know, couldn't get people to play the longer game except for Krakowell High School. Alan Dawkins was in charge there and he had a cricketer, Mark Wallace, playing. And he wanted him to have a longer game, you know. Yes. And there was also Michael Powell there. Yeah, he scored a 300 for the long one, didn't he? So it just shows you if you're playing school cricket, it's allow you allow players to play. You do produce them, you know. I mean, Simon Jones is one case in point. The present captain of Davin, Matthew Owens, was cap captain of that side. You know, it, uh, we used to have friendlies, but well, it's all gone now. Mm. The artificial wicket is in the pile of marsh grass. Mm. So, uh, but there we are. Played over 150 games on it. Yeah. It sounds very much done from very early days. You were an organiser and manager as well as a player. Would that be yeah, fair yeah, to say? Yeah, yeah. I like being involved with cricketers always, you know. When asked, when Davin were on tour in, the, tour in my club, 
I was asked there in the evening, um, so I had to say a few words, you know. Somebody asked me, why, why have you got involved? I said, well, I like being surrounded by cricketers. That's why I stayed umpiring. Until the old me started telling me it was time. Um, and I tended, I shouldn't have done, perhaps occasionally to coach while I was umpiring. <laughs> you can't avoid it, can you? You can see what's happening in the game. You know when the game is changing. And you, you've got to tell someone to look for the signs. You know, I said, Alex Skelding, the umpire, whose sight was very bad towards the end, he gave every third call. <laughs> Statistically, he yeah. thought that was the best thing. <laughs> they reckon he couldn't see. But he would hit the pads and it would be absolutely plumb. He would check all three stumps. Hot out. But once you've got the third one in... <laughs> Great days, but that's how the game was played. No longer, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. But as I say, I was an organizer and I was in charge of Worcester schools and uh, got Mike Hawkins, the then secretary of Worcestershire. We sent letters out to every school of the old 1879, was it the county boundaries? And be, there was a place called the West Midlands uh, or some, some new names of local authorities. But these schools were still their players could play for Worcestershire. So letters in green ink from Worcester Cricket, County Cricket Club to every school, and we got them all into the, the Lord's Taverners competition. Um, and it was truly a Worcestershire side. We used to have competitions in two or three different, the Lord's Taverners, there was a primary school knockout, played at the county ground. There was an under 13 competition. Um, but then the emphasis moved to clubs. The idea being that uh, you get to more children. But I was never a believer in that because every child goes to school. They get cricket at school, every child gets cricket. Now, how far they should go along that line, I don't know. I'm a, But uh, I think that was the best training because you had communicators communicating to... You've got coaches now, some of them are very good, but they're not communicators. They're, schoolmaster's job. Tom Cartwright used to say the first cricket he learned was in primary school from a school teacher and he could communicate and from that he learned the love of cricket you know so yeah I for my sins I could be heavily involved in ministry in cricket um, became the match secretary of the club uh, latterly first 11 captain when I was still living down here because our previous captain had a heart attack and died. Best captain I ever played under. Best captain. I just loved the game. You know, and I used to take Koika School up on tour then every year, for the dubbed schools. Up on tour under 14s every year to Worcester. Um, playing sides against guys. I'd taken teams against when I was a teacher there, you know. What brought you into managing um, young Welsh cricketers? How did that well, come about? I was secretary when I came. Within five years, I was secretary of Welsh schools. And we used to have internationals every year. Two-day games against Scotland, Ireland, or Northern Ireland, and England. David Hemp was the nearest one to get 100 in a game against England. He was 98 not out at Ammonford when we played England two-day match. But uh, number 11 couldn't last any longer. He was left high and dry. Um, 
but from Swansea, of course, David Hemp. And the previous highest score was 95, not out, by Martin Gravel, another West Australian from Sanganer. Who could and should have played for Glamorgan, but rugby was the main game, and he played full-back for the Scarlets for years. And then in 1999, the Cricket Board of Wales was created, and Tom Cartwright said, I want you to do the under-15s again. So why me, Tom? John, you're a communicator. That was it. I wouldn't say any more. And then there was a championship we won it a few times, you know, playing at Elmdor School in the final. And um, often against Surrey, they were all, nearly always there. And Mickey Stewart used to come and watch his son, who was coaching. And he'd say, he'd ask me about the St. Helens wicket. So it still turn as much as it used to, he said. <laughs> yeah. But he remembered coming down in fear and dread of playing at St. Helens. His Don Shepherd, Jim McConnon, Jim Presley. He said you had come out of the walls there, he said, to spend bonus. And the groundsman, you have Albert Francis ever heard? Yeah. Will Fuller asking uh, Albert, Albert, I want the, this wicket, if we win the toss, we're going to bat. And I wanted it to start turning before the end of the first day. And Albert always wanted a very impish sense of humour. What time would that be, Mr. Fuller? <laughs> The glare. <laughs> but around about half the sport started turning. Playing Gloucestershire, they had Sam Cook, Bomber Wells in the side before he went to Nottinghamshire, David Allen, and John Mortimer. Finest spin attack as you could have. Beaten in two days at St. Helens. When you're looking at young players, um, what was it that st- stuck out for you about them? Clearly, there would have been cricketing talent was there anything else in addition that you'd be looking for for somebody who'd make a good cricketer attitude prepared to listen and prepared to try what you were suggesting yeah I mean some of them had come so easily that they just carry on playing their own way I mean cricket's a sport that teaches you your own limits and you play within them, unless, of course, the captain asks you to do something extra special. And then you try it. But most of them, it's a good, good eye, good hand-eye coordination, that's it. And that's all they're taught now, to come back to Wales and work under Tom Cartwright, finest coach I ever knew. I mean, he was someone else. You must have had thousands yeah. of young cricketers come through your... Teams? Been very lucky, yeah. Yeah. Some good ones. I mean, there's seven from down here who played first class cricket. We produced Darren Thomas, Simon Jones, Robert Croft, Stefan Jones, you know, Somerset. That's four of them. There's Andrew Salter, of course, who's playing now. Um, there's still someone else. Someone so obvious that I can't remember him. But there we are. Yes. But I've been very, very lucky. Some good cricketers and some guys prepared to listen. Others who played with Gareth Rees, who was from Kuiper School. There you are. Yes, Gareth Rees. He should have been the obvious one. What, do you, what, what did you find in umpiring that, that uh, kept you connected to the game? Well, coaching. <laughs> and lots of players I coached playing. I was umpiring them. I mean, Mark Cox, um, bowling, and, and, and Stewart the left-hand spinner from Port Albert, 
I said, I, I thought I'd finished seeing you boys. I said, they'd been in the Welsh team at the same time. And uh, <laughs> I was making comments like, still bowling after me, you know, that quicker rubbish every so often. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Don't have to call me sir. I'm, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what kept me going. I, I, I took every game I, I could. I'm burning Lundersell for the school, right? Uh, playing there under 13 side. And so, you know the ground is under Sunday? Oh, beautiful ground. Yeah. It's like an English ground in Wales. Yeah. And there's a big mountain behind. Trees. Anyway, uh, wicket fell. <laughs> I was looking up at the trees. So the little boy said, Sir, sir, <laughs> that's when once again, oh, what weather? <laughs> I was looking at two red kites circling. <laughs> I just lost them completely. But lovely ground. Yeah, a chap called Pierce, who was playing at Hampstead, and he and I were members of the 2AM club, you can guess what that was, at the bar. I told that story when I was taking Wales to play at Bedfordshire, at Bedford Modern School, and there was a chap, Pierce, their coach, and I said, are you related to Peter Pierce? Because I used to play cricket with him. He says, hey, he calls his mate over, hey, this guy played cricket with my granddad. <laughs> yeah, so, well, there we are. But uh, happy days, though. You're in another world. You were honoured back in 2014 with Cricket Wales, uh, a Nat West outstanding service to cricket. Oscar, an Oscar, yeah, presented by Mike Atting at the ground. At uh, Sophia Gardens, I still call it. Yes before Mr. Russell's new ground was built. Yes. Yes, they gave me a, an achievement award and I also went up to Lord's to receive another one. Um, in the long room. Yeah, because that was very nice, but I, I'd rather have been involved in a game, if you see what I mean. Right. I used to play indoor cricket or umpire it when I was in the Midlands, and I'd rather have been doing that. I mean, it's nice, I've got a, a pint mug there which says services to cricket, you know. I think, great. But uh, pictures on the, as you said, well, you'll see pictures of teams. I, that's what my main uh, memory is and pleasure. Looking at the players and seeing the impish grin on some faces, knowing, ah, that'll be the incident, so-and-so, you know. Yes. Finest coaching session I ever heard from his father, Matthew. We were playing Hampshire at Pilewell Park. They'd taken us down. The next stop was the Isle of Wight Ferry. That's how far they'd taken us. So the following year, we took them to, to Whitland. And they stayed at a Holiday Inn in Cross Hands. They thought it was mild. And they got there very, very early. We didn't realise it was so close, you know. <laughs> but they, they worried. But anyway, um, Tom, Matthew bringing Tom arrived late because the traffic New, through New Forest was dreadful. So um, he said, look, do you mind if I take him in the nets? Because, you know, and we we didn't get many runs. I heard him coaching time because I was sitting at the corner of the pavilion by the scorers and I could hear him in the nets, finest coaching. So, see, Matthew should be coaching some youngsters. It was an absolutely superb session. And when Tom went in, he got 50 odd, top score, took a hat trick with his off spin and we won the game. I mean, I don't think we would have won it without that contribution. Well, 50 being the top score, you know, so we didn't get that many runs. But Matthew was coaching, and we very quietly spoke with him, you know. 
pick it up a bit straighter, it's picking it up all girly at the moment, you know, that sort of thing. I, I was very proud to, to listen in on that. Didn't let him know I'd heard it. One day, perhaps in com conversation, I'll tell him, but there we are. I don't go up there very often now. I've only become a championship member. You can you, you understand why. Let's come to that now. John, you've, you've earned the right after all these years of being involved with cricket at the lower <laughs> levels to, to, to gaze over the, the senior game, the first-class game, and, and hold a view about it. Tell, tell me what you think. Well, the EWCB, I'm called the ECB, England and Wales Cricket Board, have got themselves in a hole, haven't they? They've got so many... They wanted to control all cricket. Now they're responsible for finding money to pay so many people. They have to create more income. And the only income can come from this limited aura, the hundred. I mean, what's the point of that? Just seven or eight balls fewer than the 2020. But to have the two of them. The 50 over doesn't help producing test match cricketers. And the county championship, we're playing in April and in early May and then at the fag end of the season. And the test matches come in the middle of the season when all they're subjected to is limited over cricket. I mean, is it necessary the ECB have to be... Well, I, I can see they've got to control the game, right? I can, I can see that. But they've got themselves in a hole just to create money to, to control it. And the game is suffering. You can't say that the schools were the answer. But they could be. Because everyone goes to school. Now there's got to be a way we can work together, not against each other. There we are. You're very proud West Walian. Ah. Oh. Is is that important to you? Kind of. Um... Well, it's in the genes, yeah. I'll give you a story now. Mervyn Bowen used to be head of P at Paul um, Hill Schools, Leslie, and he comes into the staff room at break time one day and said, gentlemen, uh, I'd just like to announce we've got a future Wales rugby player and British Lion joined the school. His name is um, Philip Bennett. Oh, right, thank you. Yes, he's very good. He, at lunchtime, he asked for silence again. Sorry, gentlemen, I was incorrect in what I told you this morning. We haven't got one future British Lion and Wales player. We've got two. And the other one is Derek Quinnell. You know, I mean... That sort of attitude to sport, you know, and uh, of course it's in the genes here. Phil Bennett's son, Stephen, 100%er. James, his younger boy, looks like him, has all his father's abilities. Took a catch at Gully when we were playing against Cardiff and the Vale at Poof. It was so hard he knocked him backwards, but he held on to it. He had everything. Um, you know, you pick a player up. Somebody's pop Gary May and John Derrick who's died recently, you know. Um, so I was oh, he's got something in. No cricket, and no cricket in the family, just got him playing at school. I mean, sport, it's in the makeup with a lot of people here. You know, um, they only need the chance to play. And unless they're connected with a the club, they've got a dad who's playing, they don't see it. And they see this hardball, well, I've got that coming at me. If you learn it early enough, you know, the faster it comes at you, the easier it goes to the boundary. Isn't it? You just get some wood on it, that's gone. So, but, uh, yeah, 
I'm glad I'm happy with my involvement in it. I was going to say that despite all of the um, concerns you have about cricket, mm. there's still a very strong love of the game that shines through uh, oh, anybody that's talking to you. I love it. I love it. Chris Perringer and I, whenever we meet up, we talk and we spend time talking about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the meeting point, isn't it, between a physical activity and chess. Isn't it really, when you think about it? You watch a captain out the field moving people around. And most of quite often there's a con trick anyway, to get the batsman to look at something he wasn't looking at before. I love it, you know. The only thing is I'm not a natural ball player. So I've had to learn painfully. I remember um, keeping out a fast bowler to draw a game, uh, and all I had was a towel down here. And when I got out of bed on Sunday morning, my wife saw the bruises here. She said, you're going to have to give that game up, she said. So why? Look at the state of your thigh. We drew, I said. Yeah. Yes, I, uh, I'm happy at my involvement, which has been 54 playing seasons and 10 umpiring. And a lot of happy memories oh, that... Uh, the happiest... Keep- Except for my wife, the love of my life, uh, the happiest memories I've got are cricketing ones. They really are. And uh, my 80th birthday, now there's an ex-pupil who's got a restaurant in Worcester, so we've hired it for the day. And uh, various guys I played cricket with and against coming there in the evening. And my daughter's coming to keep an eye on me. It's sparkling water only till 7 o'clock, she said. Um, will you have to make a speech? I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. But whatever I do, if I have to say, it'll be to the faces, things that have rem- st- struck my memory from faces I see on the day. That's what I always tend to do. Unless you're making a formal speech, I don't like that. But if you've got guys in front of you, you know, and from their faces and their reaction to what you say, another story comes, that's fine. Yeah, but uh, yes. Sounds a little bit like a cricket match, actually. Play what you're facing. Exactly. Wait, see what you're facing first of all. Yeah. So I always say to the kids, have a look and see what the bowler wants to do first of all. Don't try and dominate him. Have a look and see what he, you know, where he wants you to play, and then when you work him out, then you can start. Which reminds me, you know, the Dan Jones. You haven't come across him. He's outside half of the scarlets, injured at the moment. But he was a cricketer who came through the system. I played with Kamal in Wanderers, and I was umpiring there, and I did tell him it was the finest 100, 120 odd not out, that I'd seen with a young cricketer. He had a look and see what the bowlers could do, where they wanted to put the ball, where they wanted him to play, and gradually he picked his shots against them and knew what he could do. And with ease, I mean, he was coasting at about eight and over without slogging at all. But he decided rugby was the game for him and he went to play rugby with the Scarlets. That's what you've got to do. Learn from what's in front of you. Don't go with any preconceived ideas. Yeah, I wish I had been able to adapt that to my own playing, really, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) But there we are. John, it's been lovely chatting to you. Well, I'm glad you put up with my book. (laughs) Didn't say, did he bore you? (laughs) So Barry Reese would say to you. Ah! 
Many thanks to John for his time and for sharing his memories with us. Next week, we have the next in our series of chats with ex-Glamorgan players, Where Are They Now? This time, we meet Tony Cordell, opening bowler and championship winner in 1969. So do join us next time when we'll be catching up with Speedy and hearing some more stories about the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales. Bye for now. Oes gyda chi stori yw'r hafni gyda ni? Mae croeseich chi gysylltu e bosiwch mwcpod1921 at gmail.com neu ewch i'n tudalen Facebook Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast neu i'n tudalen Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If so, please contact email mwcpod1921 at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, or our Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod.